Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jarrell Mason, better known as Jay Mason. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. But with me right now, I have a man. If you know the two biggest modern era boy band groups that came out of Beantown, Boston, New Edition, New Kids on the Block, this man was there from the very beginning with both groups doing choreography for, choreography for them, Local groups in and around Boston, choreographer and member of Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, branched off in the world of acting, entrepreneur, man of many hats. We're going to get into it with my man, Big Ace, in the building. Big Ace, thank you for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time out to do this interview with me. And looks like where you are, you're sitting in lovely 70-plus degree weather, my I add. Yeah, it's it's actually bright out, but it's a, it's like probably in fifties. Uh, okay, yeah, so definitely good deal there. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. So tell us about your upbringing, growing up in Boston, especially in the neighborhood of Roxbury, and why Roxbury holds a very special importance within the Black community of Boston. Knowing that Malcolm X stayed in Roxbury for a little while, and then also Minister Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam was raised in Roxbury as well. You know, Boston uh, growing up was a beautiful, beautiful city to grow up in. The kids had so much freedom. We could play outside. The parents were always watching us. All the neighbors were always watching us. And it was a um, like a beautiful community. Everybody um, had each other's back. We come from a community where you can knock on a neighbor's door and ask them for sugar and they give you a whole bag of sugar. Yeah, and everybody worked together, and it was great, really beautiful. Right, so within the different neighborhoods of Boston, so pre-busing, was it a lot of mixing going over to Dorchester or Mattapan or Southie, or was everybody kind of segregated to their side of the city? Well, you know, in the, uh, in my era, there was a lot of um, busing going on, so it was a lot of segregation, but... Um, it, the, you know, throughout the years, it got broken down, but it was rough growing up, you know, in certain areas in South Boston, you could, definitely couldn't go to without um, getting chased out. You know, it was it was bad. But things got better, you know, through, through the course of the Funky Bunch actually coming together, you know, working with Mark and all of his fans coming from South Boston, and all of uh, the Funky Bunch fans coming from Roxbury and Dorchester, they had no choice but to get together. So it was a beautiful thing to see everybody coming together for music, you know, and then seeing everybody getting along, having a good time. So we broke all the color lines by uh, through the music and by um, showing that we could work together and, and have fun, you know? Right. And what was the first major hip hop act that came out of Boston that made everybody say, man, this hip hop thing is going to take off very fast because we would be remiss if we didn't mention that this year is the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Right. And um, that's why, you know, it's so important for me to uh, make a mark in hip hop in the 50th year of hip hop, because I've been performing for since I was five years old. And now this is the 50th year, um, 55. And I love hip hop music. So this is my, my album is a love letter to hip hop, but you know, the most influential groups um, in hip hop in Boston 
were um, Edo Gina Bulldogs, um, RSO, the Almighty RSO crew with uh, Benzino and Made Men. Those guys were incredible. And there were, you know, there were other groups like Here and Now. They were really good. They were like hip hop and R&B, but they were mostly hip hop. And um, there was, you know, a lot of R&B acts that had the hip hop influence, but those were the main guys that I looked up to in hip hop. Right. Now, what led you to want to get feet first into dancing and then make a name for yourself with the Funk Effects in the talent show circuit in and around Boston? Um, I was always influenced by um, this group that my cousin was in called the Funk Effects. And they were doing talent shows and they were doing shows at my um, elementary school. And so I kept auditioning. I was like five years old. They were laughing at me because I was too small, but I was determined to be in there. I felt like that was my destiny. I watched Jackson 5 and I was like mesmerized by Michael Jackson. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to perform on the stage. And then when I see my cousin's group, the Funk Effects performing, it just totally blew me away. All the kids were so happy and influenced by that. And they were moved by the performance in such a great way. It inspired me to to uh, follow my dreams and my passion to be on stage. So I learned the routines and um, I just fell in love with the stage and dance choreography, stage choreography, and I just kept moving from there. And I became um, addicted to it. You know, I was very addicted to the stage. Right. So now was the choreography that was within the Funk Fest pretty much your own spin of what was coming out of New York with all of the early break dancing? You just added your own Boston exactly. flavor to it? Yes, exactly. We were, we were, um, we were more like uh, the lockers, you know, like we run from uh, good tap, um, good time. I mean, what's happening? Mm -hmm. We were like him. We were we we performed like him, but except we had our own choice. We did a lot of uh, acrobats. I did a lot of flips, and um, we kind of were mixing breakdancing into it without knowing about the breakdancing. But then we started seeing the movement in New York, and it just instantly click with us so we started creating our own style of break dancing with our style of uh locking and and then pop locking and break dancing just became the norm for us you know and we came really good we we all, our, one of our our traits was we always wanted to be original so we would take any kind of dance that we've seen and make a twist to make it our own yeah. Right. And for those of you that don't know about the lockers, look him up. He mentioned rerun from what's happening, the late Don Campbellock and also Tony Basil. Yes, she yes. is a bona fide dancer of choreography, more than just Mickey. And she also co-choreographed Spread My Wings for Truth with Doc Clark. Oh yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So let's talk about the Hollywood Talent Night. How did that come about? And what was it like going into the competitive Boston talent show scene, knowing that you get groups on groups on groups and that at any given time, anybody could win? Because $500 during that time was a lot of cash. Oh, yeah. And a record deal was on the line, you know? So everybody from Boston to uh, New Hampshire, Maine, everybody was involved with the show. It was like, it was hundreds, it was like, it seemed like a thousand um, competitors, you know? And my group, the Funk Effects, we actually were guest stars in the show, but I was so competitive. I was also teaching everybody. And, you know, I was I was best friends with Bobby Brown and uh, some other members of the new edition, like um, Ralph Tresman and Ricky Bell. And I just wanted to 
showed them all that I was the number one guy in Boston because we were all talking about who's going to be number one. We're trying to be number one. And then I was like, I want to be in a competition as a solo artist, Tamari Stide. You know, he's also like an uncle to me. And he was like, yeah, you can be in the show as long as you audition. If you're going to have to be like everybody else, you get no special treatment. I was like, okay. So I auditioned. I got in there. I worked really hard. I didn't let anybody in my group see what I was doing. I, I, I wanted it to be a surprise. And I ended up uh, turning the show out. It was crazy. And I won the show. And, you know, uh, later on, like, Morbis thought it would be a great idea if me and New Edition uh, joined forces and I'd be the fifth member. But I just, uh, I wasn't a boy band type of guy. You know, I was more of a, a, a b-boy break dancer. So I didn't, it doesn't, it just wasn't sitting well with me, even though I was really good friends with them and we practiced singing all the time. Like me and uh, Ricky Bell and uh, Bobby, we, we practiced these songs, man. Oh my God, they, they wrote some of the best songs when they were kids. And uh, none of them, they didn't, they didn't record any of them, but they were really, really good. I still remember uh, this one song in particular called uh, Let's Groove, you know? And, um, but yeah, I just, I wanted to join the competition and when I won, I wanted to give it to them. After I was in their group for a little bit, I was like, you know, I was home and, you know, my, my parents were good friends with uh, Ronnie DeVoe's parents and they were telling his mother, I'm not gonna be in the group and I'm gonna stay with my other group. So she went behind everybody and got me. It was like, you're gonna teach my boy them dance steps. You're gonna teach him how to dance because he's gonna be the fifth member. I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I started to show him Ronnie and then next thing you know, Ronnie auditioned and he became the fifth member. So I think that everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out. You know, I think that God wanted me to give Ronnie and New Edition that opportunity because they really deserved it, you know? Yeah, because as most of us fans saw in the New Edition story, they did the Love You Saved by the Jackson 5 and the audience pretty much was in a frenzy form seeing these young kids tight, polished, well-rehearsed. And oh, yeah. although they didn't win, Maurice couldn't deny them because of the fan reaction. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I know deep down Maurice wanted to work with New Edition from before. I beat them like a couple of times. You know, it wasn't just a Hollywood talent. Night. Every talent night that was in Boston, New Edition was there and my group was there and we won every time. And, you know, Michael Bivens would be somewhere in the corner, so mad, crying tears, like, so mad, because he knew that they were that good, that they should have won, you know? And part of, part, of, part of me felt bad, because they did deserve to win, but we were just too, um, we were really, really good. We were good, and we blew people's minds, because we do things that people never expected, like, we, we do double backflips, you know, over each other, you know? And our routines were so fast and tight and so choreographed that no other group is like us, you know? All our stuff is in sync, you know? Right, so with the Hollywood Talent Night, was there preliminary competitions leading up to the big competition or was it just a straight cattle call and the best of the best got to go on to the Hollywood Talent Night at the Strand? Well, there was a, it was a couple of uh, Hollywood Talent Nights, but the, it was just one major one. You know, there was... Um, Hollywood talent night where you won a trophy, you won a little bit of money. Then there was one that you won just trophies. 
and then it was the one that won the trophy and a recording contract. And I won all of them. Mm. Now the recording, man, now the recording contract, that was to record with Maurice at his studio, correct? Yes. And what was that like going over to his studio and seeing where all the magic happened? Well, you know, I used to always go over uh, to the house of his. Like Maurice and the whole Johnson family were like my family because, you know, Maurice used to always ask the Funkapex to open up for his band. You know, so we became like a family. We were always interacting with each other. And Maurice would invite me. I would go over there just so I could go into the music. They had, he had a big music room with all the instruments. And I used to go in there and be mesmerized because I loved instruments. You know, when I was young, my mother gave me a clarinet. That was my first instrument when I was in first grade. And I, that's when I fell in love with music when I was in the first grade. And I wanted to learn all of the instruments. So his brother, Calvin Johnson, God rest his soul, he taught me how to play all the instruments. You know, and then later on, his brother, uh, Michael Johnson, he taught me how to get a little better at studio production. You know, and that's how I learned. Then Maurice took me under his wing, let me sit in the studio and watch him work, you know? Right. And the one thing, you know, that I liked about Maurice was that when working with New Edition and New Kids, he was willing to say, hey, even though you guys are here, I'm going to show you guys what to do so that eventually you guys can branch out and do your own thing. Because, you know, when Candy Girl came out, everything was all Maurice. When New Kids' debut album came out, everything was all Maurice. But by the time Hanging Tough came out for New Kids, you started to see Donnie, Danny, and Jordan really start to get a little bit more hands-on in the studio and on the production side. Right. And that Maurice always wanted to educate all the artists. And that's one thing I loved about him. You know, he let us use the studios for free. He produced us for free. He never asked for a dime for the parents or anything. He did everything like out of service and love in his heart. I just love that man so much for doing that, you know? He, if it wasn't for Maurice coming into Boston and showing us that love, a lot of us wouldn't have been, a lot of us got lost in the streets. You know what right. I mean? Cause the streets was always waiting for you. You know, that's one thing I'm so thankful for. And that's why I made a hip hop album to show my love and honor of a hip hop uh, art form that really changed the lives of me and all the friends that I love and, and helped me advance a lot of different groups that I work with, you know? Yeah, because, you know, if you think about it, like you stated during that time, it was still not a lot of mixing of everybody, certain neighborhoods you couldn't go in and you had to be in by a certain time when it got dark. But like you said, hip hop was the saving grace for a lot, lot of folks. And, you know, when going back to New Edition story and seeing how Brooke was rehearsing them at the rec center and it was pretty much a way for them to stay out of trouble. But at the same time, Brooke was like, if you're going to do this, you're going to go all in. And if you listen to what I tell you to do, you guys will be stars. Brooke was, Brooke was amazing. You know, and, you know, Brooke had a group, too. Brooke had, uh, I think they were called the uh, Superiors. And they they lost a lot to us too, you know, but I love Brooke. I love Brooke and um, his work ethic was just impeccable. You know, what he did with New Edition, nobody else could have did that. You know, he he was definitely God's sin, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely that. And also knowing that that's Ronnie's uncle, and saying, you know, when Ronnie 
came into the group, how it was that perfect fit. And then for the public, when we first got to hear and see them in 83 of Candy Girl, everybody locally in and around Boston already knew five years prior that these boys was going to be something before the public even knew it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You could see their star quality when they performed. They just, you felt some type of way when you watched the audition when you were kids. They looked like four dolls, you know? It was mm -hmm. like four of them. It was the four dolls. And it was just amazing to see their, their harmony and how tight their routines was. And I helped Brooke in a way where, you know, I just gave them that street edge, the dancing street edge. And I, I helped, um, I helped Ralph Tresman command the stage. Because he was standing a little in front of the stage instead of commanding the stage. So I had to show him just a couple of little things to keep the crowd engaged and everything when we were kids, you know, because we were all just very young. But I was more experienced than everybody because I was always doing a lot of shows. I did uh, Super Kids when I was young. I did um, Jerry Lewis Telethon, Backstage Disco. So I was always on TV. We were like the local celebrities we're like hood famous you know what i mean in boston right so i, so I just taught them what i what i knew you know? mm -hmm, right and let's talk about how in 1983 a lot of people won't give new edition credit also credit for some d's as well that on candy girl there's rap in the beginning and in the bridge and how rap was still looked at as a novelty act and really wasn't going to have any stand power but with New addition and you all being the first generation of kids to come up under hip hop, you got to incorporate that in there and how I'm sure a lot of R&B station program directors probably were kind of like, hmm, what is this strange talking that's at the beginning and at the bridge of this record? And then also if you get later on to when they put out the self-titled album in 84 of Cool It Now, Mr. Telephone Man, how they had a lot of rap acts go on yeah. tour with them as a back doorway to get hip hop into the venues because a lot of the venues weren't given rap acts and promoters insurance to go into the building. Oh yeah. It was, it was very, it was a big struggle for us to uh, push hip hop forward because with the uh, hip hop came a lot of the uh, street and the, the streets were kind of rough, you know, like we were real rough back in the day, you know, it wasn't like it was, you know, it wasn't like it is now, but it was still rough, you know, like the you get beat down instead of shot up, you know, so they didn't want to see the uh, the street crowd coming in. But, you know, we still were having a great time, you know, so we made a way to keep it going. You know, sometimes we we, we were getting hard time just to get an entertainment license. They, they would have the entertainment license, but they wouldn't give it to us. They would hold it and hide it in the in the police department. They wouldn't give it to us, you know, but we had to force them to give it to us because they're like, yo, we're doing this for the community. And, you know, there's, of course, there's bad people everywhere, but everybody's not bad. There's a lot of kids that are inspired by this. So we were determined to inspire the kids and entertain the people in the community, you know, and uplift the community because that's what we're doing the most. Right, right. And what were some of the early venues mm -hmm. in and around Boston that, embrace hip-hop and allow the hip-hop community to come and express themselves via, you know, dance battles or Friday night performances or whatever. What were some of the venues that said, okay, I may not understand it, but as long as it's a constructive outlet and it's keeping kids out of trouble. 
Oh, yeah. You know, um, the Strand Theater was one of the big platforms in Uppins Corner. That's where the Hollywood Talent Night is actually at. But um, places like uh, the, um, the, the Joseph Lee School, that was one of, that was our stomping grounds. That's where all the big talent shows went down. And uh, like the Holland School, that's where we would rehearse at. But the Lee School was one of the major places. We also, like, in the early beginnings, we used to do shows at the place called the Hi-Hat. The Hi-Hat is actually um, down Delphi Station and right next to the Orchard Pro Projects where New Edition used, where New Edition grew up at. And um, then it was Madison High School, Madison High School. All the high schools were throwing talent shows. But the Lee School was the main spot where we all got together. Mm -hmm. That was where the punk, that was the punk effect home where, where we rehearsed that people would come there to rehearse with us. We taught uh, dance to new edition and new kids on the block right there. Yeah, that's crazy. And let's talk about the importance of WIOD and the likes of Elroy Smith, uh, the late Sonny, Sonny Joe White, and also I believe Jamie Foster Brown was very big and instrumental in helping a lot of the early Boston acts breaking like new edition, new kids on the block. Oh, yeah. They they were they were very instrumental. But uh, Sonny Joe White, I really loved with a passion because he made sure that the funk effects were always involved with all the major shows. You know, like he he just fell in love with our group and he had us as the uh, entertainment for his uh, TV show backstage disco and any uh, concerts that they had, any big concerts in the, in the, uh, Franklin Park. We were always involved through WIOD. WIOD was just amazing. I loved him. You know, uh, Stephen Hill was working with WIOD back in the days. You know, it was funny though because I I went up to him and I said what's up and he looked at me like he didn't recognize. Me. I thought, oh man, I must have changed because I'm not a little kid anymore. But I just wanted to tell him I really appreciate everything that he did for all the kids in our community because if it was for people like him we wouldn't have had a chance to shine. You know. Right, definitely that. So, New Edition and Maurice split. They were signed to Streetwise originally. They left Streetwise to go to MCA. And then Maurice says, if this was big, wait till I do a Osmonds, but with R&B flavor. So what was, what was the take for you when he decided, I'm going to do New Kids on the Block, which is pretty much the pop counterpart to New Edition? Well, I was right there in the studio when he was working. And he got the call that New Edition uh, was moving on to different management and everything. And Maurice wasn't really happy about that because the way it went about it, it wasn't like, you know, it was something that was um, kind of nice. It kind of blunt, um, bluntly just said, this is it. Boom. He's like, what the hell? You know, there's no warning. This, I guess when you um, just got to tell the truth, the truth hurts sometimes. Maurice didn't like that. So when he hung up, he said, I'm going to make an all-white band that's going to be bigger than New Edition ever was. Those exact words. And he said, Andy, they call me Andy, but you know, I don't know why my family called me Andy. That's been my name all my life. But it, my name is Anthony, and Ace is Anthony's Creative Entertainment. So he said, Andy, you're going to choreograph it. You and David. I was like, and David was my manager at the time for the Funk Effects. So I said, anything you need, Maurice, I got you. So we went to the Lee School, started holding auditions. Donnie was the first one that showed uh, he was willing to learn 
there's a lot of kids there that wasn't willing to learn the step. They had two left feet. Everybody was stepping to the left and I'm stepping to the right. And it was really hard to teach them. But we funneled it out to the five. And it wasn't, um, Joey, Joey wasn't involved till later on when um, the other fifth member, uh, Jamie, got um, pulled out the group by his mom. So I started working with them intensely every day. I had to protect them too because, you know, we're in an all black community in, in Dorchester, Franklin Field Project. There's some, like I said, a real rough area. People were getting stabbed up and murdered in the fields. They were, the basketball team were trying to jump New Edition. We had to protect them. The funk effects were very, very uh, stand up guys. You know, mm -hmm. we loved our people and we weren't letting nobody hurt our people no matter what. So we had to, we, we had to argue with all these guys sometimes, fight them to tell them back off, get them out of our rehearsal space, you know, because we were all family back then, you know? And I, I'm so thankful that me and Donnie, you know, and Mark, we kept our relationship like that. And me and Donnie always promised each other, whoever made it first, we're going to look out for one another. One of my boys died in the funk effects. He actually got murdered in uh, California, my boy Randy Shropshire. So I threw a big uh, showcase for him and invited all the groups that I work with to come and uh, perform because we're raising money for Randy's family, you know, and everybody came. I mean, everybody came. And surprisingly, Donnie came. He was on tour with Tiffany at the time, New Kids. And he came and he's like, man, I, you know, I, I just want you to do me a big favor, Ace. I was like, what? He's like, I want you to choreograph my, my brother's band. I'm putting a together a band called Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch and I want you to choreograph it. I was like, anything you want me to do, Donnie, I got your back. You know, because I knew that he was doing it as a favor because we always promised each other whoever made it, we're going to look out for one another. You know, mm -hmm. and he kept his word and I kept my word and I worked really hard to make sure that the band became one of the best bands I ever worked with, you know. Right. Yeah, because in the beginning for new kids, you know, they pretty much had to scratch and claw. You know, you mentioned the Lee School earlier. That was one of their earlier performances at the Stomping Grounds. I believe they performed at a prison at one yeah. point and they were chugging cigarettes at the end of the performance and they pretty much made their bare bones. So by the time the pop world got a hold of them, it was easy when they were selling out stadiums doing Magic Summer because they been through the rough and now they're in the sweet life of performing, perform thousands and thousands of girls. And I believe Donnie had said it in the behind the music that the pop market came to them by accident because they were marketed as an R&B act only. Because for those of you that don't know, they did a BET version of Please Don't Go Girl which is only marketed towards R&B markets such as um, BET, NY Hot Tracks, The Box, Video Music Box, or any other video shows that shows urban outlets because they were signed to the R&B division over at Columbia. I believe they were under Larkin Arnold and also Cecil Holmes. And then once pop started to catch wind, that was when Columbia pumped more money. They shot the better video. And then we all know what happened after that with pop stardom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and we, the new addition, kids on the block, opened up for my, my band, Punk Effects, back in the day. We were performing at all the projects in throughout Boston, all of them. Every project there was, every rough neck project, we were right in the heart of them. And we just, 
you know, out of the love in our hearts, we want to entertain everybody. You know, we do our own show, but we, we set up this tour and Maurice spearheaded it. We, we performed in the middle of all the little towns and neighborhoods and communities in Boston. And we've seen a transition happening with new kids on the block, how they went from this un, like unorganized kind of group to very polished group. Like with no time at all, they became uh, the band to see. They were like, people were coming to see them instead of us <laughs> all of a sudden. I was like, oh, shoot. You know, that's when we knew they had something special, you know? Right. And the crazy thing, you know, with them and New Edition at that time was still doing their thing. Bobby, at this point, huge solo star, you know, although King of Stage performed modestly, but Don't Be Cruel took him over the top. Best-selling album of 89 went diamond. And he was opening for a New Edition on the Heartbreak Tour. And I believe MCA released both the Heartbreak album and the Don't Be Cruel album within a week for each other. So perfect synergy. But I want to get what was your thought when New Edition decided to bring in Johnny and then went and did the Heartbreak album. And that was finally where it was the rubber that met the road where we finally got to see and hear the mature leap that they were wanting to make prior to the Heartbreak album, but it wasn't until Johnny and getting with Jam and Lewis that everything st sort of clicked. Yeah, you know, I um, I think that Johnny brought them to become more mature. They, he matured that sound, and, you know, the new, the new edition were kind of, they were, they were a little annoyed by the pop sound, you know? They wanted to be, they wanted to be accepted as a mature band, you know, and uh, Johnny, Johnny's voice gave them that mature sound. So he turned the group around, you know? Yeah, he definitely did. And of course, Brooks choreography, the If It Isn't Love video, very iconic. People are still trying to do it in the living room to this day. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks busted out a couple of years ago for their touchdown celebration. Yeah. And that's just a testament to oh, yeah. Brooks choreography. But I mean- Brooks is amazing. Yes. Brooks is amazing. I don't think he gets the credit no he deserves, man. Brooks is amazing. And whenever I hear that song, I'm breaking out in the dance steps. You know what I mean? Right. I, I just went to uh, Australia and that song came on and I performed the whole song. People were like, was you in New Edition? <laughs> I was like, I love them. You know? I do. I really do. Man. They inspired me. Even though I probably inspired them in the beginning, but watching their career and everything they've done, they inspired me throughout my life. Yeah, they inspired, you know, everybody. I mean, if you look at the modern era boy band, you know, New Kids set it themselves in the AMA performance that they did with New Edition a couple years ago. If it wasn't for them, there'll be no them, no Bashy Boys, no NSYNC, 98 Degrees, Boys to Men, One Direction, BTS, Troop. The list goes on and on about how all of these acts were influenced by five boys from Boston and one from D.C., Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, they were they were incredible, and their sound was incredible. You know, like when you, when New Edition kept dropping those songs, it was like a whirlwind just blew through America every time. You know, and every every household, like when I would go down the street, everybody blasting New Edition out their windows, out their cars. It was just amazing, amazing times. Right, right. So for you, when you were asked to be in Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Was it a solid sale or did it take you some convincing to hop on board? 
Well, I was actually, you know, after my after my my friend Randy had died, I I stopped working for a while, and then I got back into choreography choreography and I started teaching everybody dance so I worked with a band um Morby's uh, best friend Larry Wu asked me to choreograph this group called Best Kept Secret and we were really really good we're like the modern day um Gladys Knight in the Pits mm-hmm. but we you know the other guys in the band they were you know they weren't getting that much love they wanted to switch the band around us make it about me and the girls so the group fell apart but when we got, when I got to do the opportunity with Mark, I brought the other guys with Scott and Hector. So I brought them in the band because I knew that together, me, Scott and Hector, and Mark would be phenomenal together. So when the when Interscope Records seen us, it was that's when they told me we want you to be a part of the band. And then I was just like, you know, I'm gonna be with my boys. So yeah, of course, you know, I was with. Scott and Hector for years, and then I was with, I knew Mark for years, and I performed at a school, and I was teaching him and a lot of people how to break dance back then, Floor Lords, everybody that was breakdance, and I was a breakdance king. I never lost a breakdance competition. I was crazy about competitions, you know, I was very competitive. And I just wanted to raise the bar all the time, and I wanted to be number one, and I want everyone to perform at the best. So I was very, uh, I was about that life, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, you sure. were you were very needy pinned. Now with Mark, he was never originally in New Kids with Donnie, was he? Or was he always kind of around it when they were at the success? Because if you look at the step-by-step video, he has a cameo towards the end of the video. Yeah, Mark was always uh, around, but he wasn't a part of New Edition, New Kids on the Block. He wanted to uh, be, he was a B-boy like me, so... It's just something that, you, you know, you can't make that switch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Either you're a B-boy or you're a boy band type of guy. You know, and it's not in between because, you know, even though I tried to do the, the new edition steps and stuff, I'm still trying to break out in my B-boy stuff. You know, so mm-hmm. I was like, it ain't working for me. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't tell the guys in the audition that I didn't want to be in that band. Right. But I told Maurice, I don't, I have to, you know, fall back. Yeah. Right, right. It's kind of like a fine balance between the suite and the street. And going back to New Edition, I felt that was where Bobby really hit because he had that hip hop b boy attitude and R and B style. Because Don't Be Cruel right. was R and B and hip hop. Because he could have easily been a rapper if he said, "Nah, I'm just not gonna sing. I'm just gonna rap." Right. You know. um, there were uh, two twins that um, danced with Bobby, Billy and Bobby, the Wonder Twins. I actually set them up to work with Bobby because his other dancers, something happened between them and uh, he, he contacted me and told me that he wanted me to be one of the dancers. I was like, well, I'm in Michael Myron Funky Buzz. I can't just lead the group, Bobby. I, I wish I did, but because mm-hmm. I think that we would have still been going, you know, but Cause me and Bobby were best friends growing up. Bobby spent a night over my house. I spent now his house. I knew his whole family, and we would do parties in the projects, you know, block parties. It was just crazy. But um, you know, Bobby and Bobby was just amazing. Bobby would come to my house. I'd teach him how to uh, break dance and everything. You know, Bobby knew how to break dance and all that. Right. You know? Yeah, he was definitely a dancer, and you know, to see. 
you know, the group's impact together and solo, you know, with Ralph, Bobby, Johnny, and BBD and how they pretty much set the standard for, okay, this is how you succeed as a group. This is how you break apart, have success, come back, have more success, and here they are 40 plus years later getting ready to go out on the their brand new tour, the Legacy Tour, is with them, Guy, Key Sweat, and Tank. Man, you know, I would love to, to perform on that show. Man, this, you just excited me just now. But if, if many of the guys hear this, I would love to perform with you guys, man. <laughs> you know, that'd be incredible. Because, you know, like, this is a special, special time for music, mm -hmm. you know, especially for uh, those brothers, man, like, to have this type of longevity. Mm -hmm. My hat goes off to them, you know. Yeah, definitely that, you know, because when I saw the new edition story and seeing how they managed to keep that circle so tight to where you didn't know about half the stuff that was going on until the yeah. movie was a showcase to the professionalism yeah. and how oh, yeah. they never let the outside stuff get in the way of business. That when the public sees you, it's all smiles, it's all sing and dance, but behind the scenes, we got stuff going on that you'll never know about. Right. I credit that all to uh, Brooke Payne because Brooke Payne was such a perfect gentleman. He was always about his business. He was always sharp, and he didn't have. He was like a no nonsense type of guy. You know, he didn't play in rehearsals. He was very serious about what he was doing, and he made sure everybody stayed on a professional level. You know, and you know, we were all looking up to them in that aspect. You know, I'm, I, my group was like that too, but I loved how how organized Brooke was, you know? Yeah, you know, I had a chance to interview Brooke and I got the same vibe, no nonsense. Look, the party's over, for real, mm -hmm. for real. And when you see oh, yeah. the video and Dump and Ed and Wood Harris portraying Brooke, rehearsing New Edition as kids, you knew by the time that they got up on stage, they worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. So mm -hmm. during the show, was easy. And I'm sure it took Johnny a little bit longer when he first came into the group because New Edition was a well-done machine and coming from a solo background where you didn't really have to dance and really work the stage. It was like a steep learning curve because New Edition was already established at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they were, um, they were so polished. Like, when we were kids, we were like, like six and seven years old. We were performing at the hi-hat. Me and Bobby would always be like talking crap to each other, like, you know, we're gonna win, right? He's like, No, yeah, I ain't winning today. I'm like, I may about to get that L. You know, we always be joking around, but everybody was so serious about what they were doing. We were we were kids, but we were very focused on being as perfect as possible and performing at the highest level to entertain people. Excuse me, I'm outside the winds blowing, knocking things over. Yeah, but it's almost yeah. kind of like, you know, you're looking to see who's the best and i want to go against the best where some would avoid the smoke you wanted the smoke climb up the oh, chimney yeah. put it in a pipe we <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah we were we were always uplifting each other and we were challenging each other you know mm -hmm. just to make sure that we were performing at our best i would teach people how to dance just so that the competition would be on a on a higher level because right. I wanted everybody, like people would come and they see us, they'd be like, oh man, they're in it. Like, I wanted to make it fair. Mm -hmm. So my group, my group didn't like the fact that I was working with an Ivy group, but 
I want to change the, the scale and make it more competitive, you know? Right. So it was almost kind of sort of like they almost wanted you to be an exclusive gun for them and not share the wealth with everybody else, right? Yes. But at the time, Boston was exploding with talent, and I wanted to see everybody perform at their best and at their fullest capacity. So I worked with everybody to try to help elevate that. Right. And I want to get your thoughts on Troop when Troop first came out, because Troop stated that they were heavily influenced by New Edition. They were considered the West Coast version of New Edition, hailing from Pasadena. And then if you look at the If It Isn't Love performances, when they did it live on Soul Train, then I believe at the Miss World pageant, I want to say 87 or 88, they were doing like the troop dance as a part of the choreography. And to me, that was kind of like a wink and a nod to Troop, like, hey, we see you. Oh, yeah. Troop was very influential, you know, and they were, their sound was amazing. Like, I always thought that Troop had one of the most incredible uh, sounds of any group. You know, when they harmonized, they were just on point. Their songs were incredible. I love Troop. And I got to work with them in, in um, a couple of shows. And uh, we were in Philly, Detroit. We got to work with Troop, and they were just really nice guys. They were very humble and very uh very funny. They were funny, man. We were we were playing football, catch. I mean, we just had a blast, you know. Yeah, R.I.P. Reggie Warren. You know, I always felt that there were distinct different dancing styles between both groups. You know, New Edition was more of the school of the Temptations, Shy Light, yeah. Stylistics, Blue Magic, because that's what Brooke right. came up under. But in Troop, pretty much was taking what was going on dance-wise out in California and had that tight polished element to it. Yeah, right, right. I love their songs. Their songs are just wow. I would listen to the whole album from one song to the last song, first song to the last song. Right. Right. And I didn't know this until a couple of years ago that step by step was originally done by a group on Motown called the superiors, I believe in 87 or 88. And then Maurice ended up revamping it for new kids for the album of the same name. And that just exploded. And that was, and that's another thing that, Maurice Starr doesn't give enough credit for is that he's able to hear certain things and be like, okay, this voice is going to go here. This is going to work for this group, you know, because when you listen to Please Don't Go Girl, it's an R&B record, but if you also go and listen to Ann Quet, I Will Always Be There For You, you know he kind of took a little bit of that 808 from that record, what was going on in Miami, applied it on to that record, and the same thing with the right stuff, the little shuffle. If you listen to Janet Jackson, you can be mine on control, the little dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I'm sure Maurice oh, yeah. is like, okay, let me take this, put it on them, and then Black audience knows this as the dance from Jungle Love by Morris Dan Time, Purple Rain, but when New Kids did it at Apollo, that took it to a wider audience that probably wouldn't even know it. Right. Maurice was a musical genius. He always had that... Um that knack to, to hear what works and what doesn't work, you know? Mm. And he was just a, a genius in the studio. Maurice's ears was just on another level. And I, you know, right now I just like to uh, say a prayer. And if, if everybody could just say a little prayer for Maurice because he's having health issues right now and he was in the hospital. So, you know, shout out to Maurice. I hope he gets better and gets back on his feet. Yeah, prayers to the general. And what was 
your take when you were first brought good vibrations and you all were going to the studio to cut it was there any hesitance in recording it like man this is too soft i personally told donnie why are we doing this song because <laughs> you know it's totally different from the hip-hop sound that i really was used to and even performing to make the choreography i was it was it took me a minute to do it because it was different sound so it made me think differently. So I had to adapt to that sound. So it was it, it didn't rub me the right way the first time I heard it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Donnie kept saying, this is going to be your big hit. I'm like, what? Really? You serious? <laughs> and he actually knew it was going to be our big hit. Um, and I hats off to Donnie because Donnie, uh, he also is a great producer. Mm -hmm. um, I think he produced our first record. Um, better than anyone could ever did it, you know? He worked alongside with Leo, Kiki, and you know, Mark, you know, was incredible, you know, because some of the stuff that we were doing, some of the songs we did were remakes too, you know? The Vibrations actually was uh, written by one of the um, artists in Boston named uh, MC Spice. And MC Spice, he actually wrote a couple of songs for us. And, you know, he's he was amazing and his songs um that we did also got a lot of notoriety and hats off to him too because if it wasn't for spice we wouldn't have those hit records yeah that record became huge and i want to sidebar really quick to a young man who i felt was going to be the next big male r&b superstar but tragically his life was cut short the late chris bender oh chris bender loved his voice and it was a shame what happened to him, you know. His friends did him in. You know, jealousy is a horrible thing, you know. And I just want to say, you know, to anyone listening, don't hold jealousy in your heart because it'll it'll make you an unhappy person. And I mean, we don't have time in our lives for for negative energy like that, you know. It's it's not going to help you grow, you know. Being jealous, hearted, and then you know, hurting somebody like that—that's super talented on their way to become super successful, working hard to get it. Nobody deserves to get their life taken away because somebody's jealous of their talent, you know, or their their capabilities, you know? Right. But he was gonna be one of the biggest artists. We were all excited about that album. We all we all heard the album, we were very excited about it, but, you know, it's, it's sad what happened, you know? Yeah, you know, Kiss the Makeup, great record. Who Would I Choose? Definitely a great record. I believe Trick Daddy had ended up sampling that record on one of his first albums that came out and just how he was along that line of acts that came after the explosion of New Edition New Kids. Hey, if they could do it, I could do it too. So let's talk about uh, Finest Hour and then Perfect Gentleman and Maurice Starr's son was in Perfect Gentleman. Yeah, you know, um, Finest Hour, I love those guys. You know, uh, Carlos Munoz was one of my my good friends, and I got to work with them when they were, um, I think they were signed to Arista Records, and uh, they were working with Larry Wu. You know, Larry Wu was my manager at the time, too. He was my producer, so anything Larry wanted me to do, I would help him do it. You know, so he wanted me to work with all his bands, too, so I choreographed a lot of the stuff that... Um, find us how we're doing, but they kind of had their routines already tight. I just came in and helped polish it up, you know? Mm -hmm. And 
with uh, Perfect Gentlemen, I choreographed them from the beginning because Maurice uh, brought me in when they finished the album and asked me to, you know, work with the boys. And, you know, we were like family already anyway. Mm. Uh, Mass Pike Miles was uh, the lead singer at the time. I used to have to go get that boy every day. He'd be in the house playing video games. I'm like, come on, man, we got to go to rehearsal. The boys are all down there. He lived right down the street from the house of hits. Everybody's like, yo, can you go get him? So I go, <laughs> nobody wants to go get him because he wasn't listening to nobody. Mm. He was just, you know, he was on his own thing, you know, but he knew in order to get better, and I had to give him that that Brooke Payne talk, like, yo, the party's over, the video game's over, time to go to rehearsal, let's go, you know? And so he'd go to mm. rehearsal and he'd get serious and all the guys work together. And they, I was actually working with them when I got the call that my boy Randy got murdered. You know, and it devastated me. I had to go to L.A. We was working on their music video. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to go out there with that, you know, heavy in my heart. But I love working with Perfect Gentlemen. You know, I would, like, shortly after that, the, um, the Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch kicked up. And I still was choreographing Perfect Gentlemen in um, the Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, you know. So when we started touring, I would wear uh, the Perfect Gentleman shirt on tour when we perform, you know? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. an honor because I felt bad that I had to leave them to go on tour and start, you know, pursuing my own career, but it go- that's the way it is sometimes, you know? Right, and uh, wasn't Classic Example from Boston as well? The group Classic yes, Example that did oh, yeah. It's All Right, I believe, from South Cent- oh, yeah. on the South Central soundtrack? Oh, yeah. I Those are all good friends of mine, too, and I choreographed them. And they were incredible. Their sound, um, like back in the day, they had a, a group, the Four Clocks Example, they named, their name was uh, the Lords. And two of the guys from the Lords joined the other uh, three guys in uh, Classic Example. And that's how Classic Example formed. With Jamie and Bunny from the Lords, and those were my boys growing up. They did all the talent shows with us too. They were always trying to beat the funk effects. And they ended up asking me to, to teach them dance choreography. And I was working along with them and David Vaughn. David Vaughn was my choreographer. He taught me everything. And I just, I always wanted to do my own thing. Even though we, he showed me the steps, I made a twist in it because I was very acrobatic and very flexible. And I thought, oh yeah, if I do it like this, it's going to be better. So that's how I ended up creating my own choreography. Right, and, right. And for you... Was it weird for you seeing once new kids hit their pop heights, seeing the dolls, the cartoons, all the merchandise? But at the end of the day, like, hey, these are just neighborhood kids, and we're seeing their faces on Saturday morning cartoons and at a JC Penny somewhere on some linen and bed sheets. You know, it's crazy is that when we would be rehearsing at the Lee School, we would be talking about this stuff. We, we would say, you guys look like dolls. I bet you they're going to make dolls out of you guys. I could see all kind of merchandise. And we would talk about this when we were teenagers, you know? Mm. And just to see it come to life, it was expected, you know? It was kind of expected, but it was un, it was unreal. It's like, this is surreal what's happening, but it really happened, you know? Right. And I always felt that new kids and Mark in the same boat as well with the Funky Bunch, that he really wanted to embrace fully 
hip hop and R&B because that's what they really were at the end of the day. But once the pop success started happening, like, nah, we got to we gotta focus on this pop money. We got to focus on this pop sound. And when I had a chance to interview Danny, Danny was telling me that once the pop success started hit, it felt kind of weird because, you know, we were R&B hip hop and we were just doing that, but on a grander scale. Right. And Don, and Danny actually was a B-boy too. You know, we used to, when I would teach break dance, like I, I think I sent you a picture of when uh, me and the twins and Danny and Mark were rehearsing. And Mark was like up to my waist. He wasn't even that tall back then. Donnie, I mean, Danny was about up to my shoulders, you know? Mm-hmm. And we would, like all of our break dance days, we would just practice spinning our heads, windmilling, footwork, and doing crazy splits, you know, we, we were very, very uh, adventurous, you know, mm. trying new things. We'd flip off of the wall. We'd just flip off each other. We were doing crazy stuff in the rehearsal that you wouldn't think that we were doing to get better, you know. And I, I got to give credit to Danny, too, because Danny, he worked really, really hard. You know? He's one of the guys in uh, New Kids on the Block that was the first person to show up, last person to leave. It was always about getting better and improving the whole the overall performance of the band. Right. So now fast forward to the Funky Bunch. Once Good Vibrations took off, what was that like when the song became a hit and you guys are out on the road touring and then going into the studio for the sophomore follow-up? You know, what's crazy is uh, when um, we were doing, we did a, a radio tour. It was you know, we were opening, we were opening up for like all the biggest acts in hip hop. You know, we we did shows in San Francisco with everybody. You know, Queen Latifah was there, De La Soul was there. Speaking of De La Soul, God bless. You know, shout out to everybody and all the family members. And uh, um, wasn't it? Uh, Heavy D, Heavy D was there. Man, God bless him too, man. You know, we man, there's a lot of great great artists that passed away, man. So shout out to everybody in hip hop that lost the, the great members in hip hop, man. This is the 50th year anniversary of hip hop. And I just, I just want to show respect to everybody that paid the way, all these pioneers that, you know, we, you know, we knew that we had an uphill battle, but we won. We're still here and we're still moving forward. And look at hip hop, they tried to stop hip hop, but hip hop has been in movies. Hip hop has been in commercials, all these television shows. I mean, hip hop has influenced the whole world, you know? And I think hip hop made the world a better place. I truly do. Yeah, I agree with that because if you take a look at the Grammys that just happened, where Questlove curated that hip hop medley to see it be at that pinnacle from where it was in 89 when they boycotted it because they wouldn't televise it. Yeah, that's crazy, you know? That's crazy. And, you know, I think, you know, there's just a lot of people that still don't understand hip hop as a culture, but we're still here and moving forward. And I love it. You know, I love the, I love how it's bringing groups of different nationalities together, you know? Right. Yeah. So was, I, I'm curious to know, was there any secret rising from from the guys when Mark decided to 
do the whole Calvin Klein thing and become an underwear model. <laughs> and then we started to see him branch into being a more serious actor. But, you know, to see him in the Calvins and then perform at Rock and Jot where he dropped the pants and had the Calvins on. I'm sure like, man, come on, Mark, man. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, right? I don't like to talk about this too much, mm. but me and one of the guys in the band got into a fight in Europe. And that kind of dismantled the group for me. I just, mm. I I got hurt in the fight and I, I kind of took some time off from the band and that's when they recorded the second album. And once I started healing, I just didn't feel like I was a part of the band really anymore. Even though I, I tried to stay in, as involved as I could, I was started doing my own music. And that's why it what led me up to doing my own album today. And even though, you know, there was no hard feelings between me and the band, but, you know, they were a little heartbroken that, you know, I kind of backed out of the band, you know. And later on, me and Mark, uh, we reconnected. We we formed another band called One Love, featuring Mark, Marky Mark. But the other guys in the Funky Bunch weren't involved in that. They felt some type of way when Mark started doing uh, Calvin Klein and movies. He kind of uh, disassociated himself from the music for a while, you know. Mm -hmm. And then once me and him got back together, we we you know we never stopped working together ever since then. And we we did a record, and what messed that up as one of the guys after we after the record label east west records gave us money for the tour and we put us on a big tour we had our own stage he decides not to sign the contract so and during that time that's when um mark got the uh movie was that fear and fear fear uh started blowing up so Mark got another movie role, so I know he was going to start steamrolling through the movie, so I started working with him exclusively on uh, reading the scripts and learning the game, you know? Right, and one of the first movies I remember seeing Mark in was Renaissance Man. It was him, Richard T. Jones, Lady in the Wood, Kadeem Hardison, Stacey Dash, Khalil Khan from Juice. You know, very personal movie for me because my uncle, uh, my uncle was a member of the army he was stationed at fort jackson south carolina at the time when they filmed renaissance man and he got to take a picture with some of the cast members and r.i.p gregory hines who was also in renaissance man as well oh yeah i i got much respect for gregory hines you know in all the legendary dances man you know and he's such an incredible actor too mm -hmm. you know and he influenced me majorly you know his right. style of dance and his uh his acting was just so incredible also. Yeah. Right, right. And I want to touch on this with you. Um, Boston native just lost the legendary Bill Russell and how he was very influential, not only in terms of sports, but also being out and active in the community. And he openly talked about how when he got drafted by the Celtics, that it wasn't easy for him and how he had to deal with a lot of adversity moving into Boston, especially when he opened up Slaves. I didn't know Slaves was his place and how he just had to traverse through a lot when he got drafted and how Red Auerbach didn't care 
about the assumptions of black players at the time. You say, I'm going to put the best players out there on the court. Color ain't going to matter. Yeah, thank God. Thank God, because look at the, the greatness that he achieved, you know? He was he was one of the great men, and you know I I love what he did for uh, the inner city kids, like at the boys club. I was one of the the kids that went to the boys and girls club, you know, in Roxbury. And um, as I grew up, Bill Russell was always uh, supporting the basketball leagues there, the, the youth leagues, and he was always at the games, at the championship games, and I just and a lot of the Celtics too. But I I'm really thankful that they showed. They showed up because, you know, when when you're a kid in the inner city and there's a lot of violence and stuff and, sep- and segregation and racism, it's hard to to feel like you matter, you know. But these guys on the on the team, they they let us know that we mattered and they cared about us, you know. Mm-hmm. So we worked hard because they like one day you can do the same thing. If I could do it, you could do it, and, and we felt that it resonated with us, you know. Right. I was I'm curious to know too, was Black Bostonians torn during the Lakers Celtics rivalries? Because you know, you got magic and showtime, but you gotta support the home team with Bird, Mikhail, Parrish. Oh yeah, we were Celtics all the way. We're Celtics all the way. I love I love LA, but Celtics all the way. You know, I'm Boston all the way to Bruins, Red Sox, Patriots, you know what I'm saying? I'm Boston. Yeah. yeah, that's the one thing about Beantown is that you guys are very loyal. You ride for your teams. Great sports team. Great sports city. Um, forget Tom Brady. I'm salty. They still beat the Panthers <laughs> in the Super Bowl. So I'm glad Tom Brady's <laughs> gone so we can finally hopefully get something. But Larry Bird, coldest player I've mm-hmm. ever seen. I felt cheated. Because the closest I got to see Prime Larry was when him and Magic went on the Dream Team. And I didn't get to see Larry at his prime. Larry would talk trash to you and say, I'm going to do this. You're supposed to do this. Do it too. Larry's the only person I've seen shut Jordan down. Because Jordan, Jordan couldn't get past uh, get past Burn. You know, when they when they, they were just steamrolling through people, he, he met Larry and the team and it was just a different ball game. Yeah, you know? I mean, I mean, he gave that great crow after Jordan dropped sixty three in the Garden. I just saw God playing basketball. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, that that guy. I love that guy. I love him, man. I just recently played uh, golf at his uh, his course. Just amazing. Nice. Yeah, that's the thing about Larry. Larry was no dummy, and we'll hope that you would know that he was no dummy, too, because I think Cedric Cornbread Maxwell, who's from Kenston, North Carolina, said mm-hmm. that when he first showed up to camp, he was like, man, this kid can't play, can't jump, can't do this. Larry. Oh, yeah. Larry was amazing. He was amazing. Yeah. He had back yeah, he problems. Yeah, had back problems not been an issue. And I think another thing, too, I think still haunt Celtics fans to this day. Had Lynn Bias not died. Oh, yeah, that was that was heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, and I'm always, you know, I, I was a teacher when I was in Boston for a little while at the after school program at the Lee School. You know, I loved the kids there and I wanted to make a difference in the kids' lives. And, you know, being there, it taught me a lot about how, you know, how much kids really look up to you and need you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make a difference in all those kids' lives. And 
you know, we we uh we got the opportunity to take the kids to Celtics games and and we really help uplift the, the community with these kids. Like sometimes I'll bump into them when I go back home and they're like, Man, I can't believe you loved us so much. You know, I gave them my all, you know. Right. Right. And I want to talk about really quick um the DYC. Cause I know that was a place that new kids mentioned a lot. And then in one of the earlier performances um, that they did at Nines Lansdowne Street, Donnie had mentioned a man by the name of Al McClain. Oh, yeah. Al McClain is the brother, the older brother of the twins that was in my group. I And, you know, coming up, Al was like always a very uh, inspiring person. He was one of the best basketball players. You hardly miss a shot every time we got to see him play. He's such a class act on and off the, the uh, court. He's always dressed up in nice suits, treated everyone with love and respect. He was just a great all-around guy. Right. Know? Right. And what was it like for you to see a basketball court get named after Michael Bivens, who is a b-ball head? Because if you look oh, at yeah. a lot of new edition videos, it kept basketball in it because I believe ball was really life for Mike before he got into new edition. Oh, yeah. Me and Mike was on the same basketball team at the Boys and Girls Club when the, the uh, Celtics was uh, sponsoring the games, you know. And championship game, I showed up late. The, the coach wouldn't let me play. I had to sit on the bench and watch them win. I was like, oh, I was so heated. But Michael was always the top scorer, man. He was – that's one thing about Mike. He worked hard no matter what he did, you know. So I knew he was going to make it one way or another, either through basketball or entertainment, you know. And I got mad respect for him. And I was so happy that they named a, a court or a field after him. You know, I just I heard about it and I was like, he deserves that, you know, because he inspired a lot of people. He gave so much of himself to the community. You know, it's good to see the community give back to him. Right. And to see where... Everybody in New Edition branched off to outside of group ventures and then new kids as well, you know, with John doing the farmhouse fixing and get farmhouse fixer on HGTV, Donnie and acting. You got Wahlburgers and you got Danny and Jordan in their respective venture, Joe out on Broadway and of course Mark with the acting. But at the end of the day, what I get a sense from everybody in those groups, like don't let Hollywood fool you. We'll steal those guys at the end of the day, and we'll let you know if, if you cross us wrong that we we steal from here. And you can get oh, yeah. it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's real. The Boston is just like that because it's a tough place, you know. Sometimes you have to, you know, you have to pull out the the Roxbury guy, you know, because mm. people people you know they won't give you a break sometime until you show them that side of you, and then they'll be like, okay. I'm going to fall back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. it almost kind of feels like New York in a way as well, where they'll let you know that you're getting too big for your britches, but also very loyal. If you show up, do oh, the yeah. work, and don't don't cheat us because we're paying our hard-earned money to come see you. Oh, yeah. And um, I, I believe that, you know, deep down, Boston was a place where people, you know, going through so much uh, – segregation racism it wasn't like the richest town there were a lot of you know pimps on the corners where we grew up there's a lot of um gangsters so it wasn't that easy to stay focused on what you want to do because 
like I said, the streets is always on the corners waiting for you, trying to influence you and trying to make you turn away from your goals. You know, so I think that we gave a lot of relief to people that were going through those times too. They seen us working hard. They seen us actually making a difference and it helped them have a good day when they came to our shows. You know, it kind of gave them a break from the reality, the harsh realities that were existing in it. Yeah, and to think about how, you know, New Edition started off as kids, new kids started off when they were young and how both groups, you know, got it out the mud. It wasn't a cattle call like making a band. It was homegrown, brought up from the soil, rooted, and how, you know, the lives of the members wasn't easy. Oh, yeah. It was it was constant challenges, you know? And, you know, like, when I was coming up, you know, I I had to face a lot of um, people passing in my life. Like, my mom passed when I was 10. I was doing those uh, super kid shows. I had to perform with a smile on my face and my heartbreak, and I still had to do it. And I, I'm very thankful I had the support of all my boys, you know, like the guys in the funk, funk effects, they were very, very supportive. And they didn't let me get too depressed. They kept me in my spirits up. And that's one thing I love about Boston too. They see you down, they pull you up, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And I want to get, what was your thoughts on seeing the Battle of Boston performance at the AMAs with New Edition and New Kids and how, for me as a fan of both groups, it felt like a full circle moment. And I'm sure it probably felt like a full circle moment for new kids that we get to perform with the guys that started it for us. Yeah, they, they you know, the new kids on the block were so influenced by new kids. I mean, new edition, and they were, they loved the new edition. And to perform with them, I knew that they couldn't wait for that moment. So it was good for Boston, too, to see that, because we were always saying, oh, we want to see this happen. And to see it actually happen was really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's get that new edition, New Kids Tours next. That's what I want. So let's talk about current projects, what you got going on right now. Well, right now, I, I'm about to, uh, I have a song out right now called uh, I Am Hip Hop from my um, album, a 16-track album called The Throne of Grace. And I think The Throne of Grace is a perfect title for me because God has been good to me, you know, and I'm not a young kid anymore, but my heart, still has a strong passion for hip-hop as it did it's even stronger now and i'm more experienced now and some of the songs i'm i'm doing is touching on a lot of things that are current in the world today and like i have i am hip-hop showing that i really am hip-hop and i just love hip-hop but then i have songs about brotherly love i have songs about you know the history of hip-hop you know and how we need to stay together and support hip-hop and how uh People need to just give each other, you know, more love. You know, I'm trying to get people to elevate love. That's what I really want in the world. So yeah. that's what my really about. All right. And where can people find this project? Well, right now, um, I have a, a, a site called my official. I have actually, I have a site. It's my official merch site. I have a lot of clothing on there, uh, hip hop clothing, but also I have my music on there as well. So you can find uh, my music content on BigAceTees.com. And you can find all the uh, the cool merch that I have. All right, people, if you want to get hooked up with some fresh gear, because, you know, warm weather's about to hit and also sample that music, go to BigAceTees.com. That's BigAceTees.com. Big Ace, do you have any shout outs you want to give before we wrap, my brother? 
I'd like to shout out to you, Gerald. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. And I just want to shout out to all the pioneers of hip hop. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. And so I thank you guys for being the, the brave soldiers and never quit. You know, we never stop. We never quit. You know, we are the real hip hop. Yeah, can't stop, won't stop like Diddy. And you can catch this interview wherever you stream podcasts and on YouTube at youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. We have man of many trades, former member of the Funky Bunch, Mr. Big Ace. Big Ace, thank you for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, God sir. Bless. Appreciate you.